place there in Galatians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 14 together. And if you'll take out those notes that are found in the weekly bulletin, uh, they're going to aid us in our time this morning as we study equality in the gospel. That's so our, our study's title this morning. We began several weeks ago in Galatians 1 as we begin to look at a different gospel. And Paul is writing to a variety of churches, at least four that are in, come to mind. They're in the area of Galatia. It's not necessarily a city, but a region. And so he's writing to these churches and he's communicating to them. His astonishment that they are turning away to a different gospel, which is no gospel whatsoever. And uh, what's on debate here or being debated is Paul's authority and Paul's apostleship. And so he's spending and he will spend chapters 1 and 2 unpacking personally who he is and why he has the right to be able to speak for God. And that's exactly what he has been trying to do as he's... Uh, communicating the support that he had received from the children of God, the church of God, even there, um, um, that, and, he, who, and where he's writing from and who he's writing to, the simplicity of the gospel that we studied several weeks ago and their desertion of that gospel uh, to go back to a law-based works righteousness. And so Paul begins to bring caution and a concern there to them of the seriousness of his message and that there is no gospel and that those who would share uh, another gospel would be a curse. It would be devoted to destruction. And so then Paul then begins to communicate that his, this theme, this aim is to be pleasing to God. It's not that he received it from man. It was not man's idea. It's not uh, Paul's words. It's not even, uh, uh, it's not even of him or from him. It's, it's just came from God. And so that he desires the approval of God and not the approval of man. And he communicates there in, in chapter one, that ultimately if he'd been a, Desiring to please man, he wouldn't be a, a servant of Christ and receive the, the beatings and the, the, the punishment that he had received. But his aim is to be pleasing to God. The origin is not from man, so as I alluded to earlier. It's not a result of man's thinking. It wasn't received by man's teaching. And Paul makes it clear, even as he moves toward the end of, of chapter 1, that he, he didn't receive this from man originally. And he didn't go up to Jerusalem to be taught this. He only spent 15 days in those fir- after first, the first three years of being a believer and the only apostle that he had saw was the apostle Peter at that time. And that ultimately the good news of the gospel begins with God himself. That God's the one who had revealed this to Paul. And then Paul uses then the argument of this being his own testimony that he was a Judaizer, talked about his life before Christ, and then Paul's encounter with Christ on his road to Damascus, uh, and then Paul's purpose in Christ after that, how he followed the Lord uh, and, and not sought uh, to just be... I have a ministry even to the to the Jews because that's not the ministry he'd received from Christ, but a ministry to the Gentiles. And so then Paul says, well, the argument then can move. Well, that's why your argument's wrong, Paul. You should have gotten commendation from uh, the, the Jewish, uh, your Jewish brothers, the other apostles. And then Paul then moves in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 to be able to communicate that and that he did go up to Jerusalem after 17 years of ministry. 17, it says in 14 years after in verse 1, that he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with him also, and in that, that, that time of 17 years and finally making his way to Jerusalem, his goal was to ensure clarification surrounding support of the gospel. He wanted to make sure that not that he didn't know for 17 years what gospel he was preaching or that he might be wrong. The clarification and support he was looking for was surrounding the gospel in this. There are so many people who are dogging my steps and completely trying to undermine my teaching, especially the Judaizers. Will you, being the Jerusalem church, support me and stand with me? Will you give me the right hand of fellowship and commend the gospel that I'm teaching? Meaning, are you going to be strong against Judaism? Are you going to be strong against legalism? And and it wasn't for clarity in his gospel, even though he says that he didn't desire to run in vain or what had not run in vain. It's simply saying that 
when the word gets to Jerusalem church, are they going to stand with him? And I believe Galatians chapter 2, 1 to 10 is basically a description of what was taking place in Acts chapter 15. And so Paul says in verse 6, man, when I came there, these influential people uh, that the Judaizers held as influential didn't didn't add anything to my gospel. So he says, "I, I wasn't coming to clarify my gospel, but to clarify the support of that gospel. And so then he used an illustration. He had clarification, but he provided an illustration of that gospel with Titus, that even a, a Greek that I'd brought with me named Titus, who was a believer, was not forced to be circumcised. And so why would we want to ensure uh, other uh, Gentiles to be circumcised when they had an opportunity right there when I took Titus with me to Jerusalem and they did not ask him to be circumcised. It was for the preservation of the gospels we talked about last week that ultimately we want to protect that gospel. And then he wanted to receive confirmation and condemnation or commendation, not condemnation. He wanted to receive confirmation from them and commendation. Would, would they support him? And those supposed influential people absolutely supported him in this, that they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Now, he used these terms several times, those who seemed influential. He said it in verse chapter 2, verse 2, and twice in chapter 6, I mean chapter 2, verse 6, and then one again, uh, and once again in verse 9, as he spoke about James, the half-brother of Jesus, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, the beloved, as these pillars who seem to be influential or pillars. And he wasn't saying that as a criticism to those men, themselves, he was saying as a criticism to those who would boast in the flesh, these Judaizers. And he says, you think they're influential. They mean nothing. That means nothing to me. But you think they're influential. Let me just tell you, the ones that you deem influential were the very ones who commended this gospel that I'm preaching. And so it's in light of that that he's going to continue his argument today with equality in the gospel uh, to share it in a couple different ways. One, equality in the gospel as it relates to him being an apostle and Peter being an apostle. That there's this elevation of Peter as one of those influential people that's referred to in chapter, throughout all of the book of Galatians so far, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. But he's now going to confront Peter in some sin that Peter had interacted, uh, had been doing there when Peter now makes the trip to Antioch. So this was a trip they made to Jerusalem. And now upon their return back to Antioch, Peter's going to make a trip, as you see in verse 11. When, but when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And so Peter's going to make a trip and Paul's going to confront him in an issue. And so it's going to elevate once again. You don't think I'm an apostle. If you want to talk about apostleship, you're elevating this pillar of the church that you deems influential. And I, I condemned him in front of entire church. Now, it's not to, it's not to, uh, to, to some way uh, make uh, Peter lower and elevate Paul as much as to lift up the gospel that Paul is teaching here. So it's not an attempt to, to embarrass Peter, but it's an attempt to bring confidence and courage to these Galatian believers that the gospel they had received wasn't a second-rate message from a second-rate apostle. Right, so I want to be careful here. And then we also say, as we talked this right from the beginning, since you're seeing equality in the gospel here, the, common, the condemnation that's going to be given to Peter doesn't mean Peter's not a believer. We're talking Paul's a believer, Peter's a believer, but yet in the context of believing the gospel and the, believing the right gospel, sometimes our conduct may not be in keeping with that gospel, and this is what we're talking about. So by no means I want to communicate, or maybe not uh, you not hear well what I'm trying to communicate, and that is Peter at no point is a, a pagan or has lost his salvation. It's simply that Peter's conduct was not in keeping with the gospel. So we first want to talk about that from a personal level, from apostle to apostle. But then we want to talk about it from a corporate level, from believers to believers, and how uh, there was an attempt then to bring a division between the Jews and the Greeks as we look at this particular passage. So let's look at equality in the gospel. Beginning in verse 11, you see Paul's confrontation with Peter. 
Paul is going to have a confrontation with Peter. Once again, the argument here as we look at chapters 1 and 2 is personally. If you're, going to, you're going to undermine Paul's gospel, then you have to undermine the teacher. You've got to undermine Paul. And so Paul's bringing out personal challenges and personal uh, support for his apostleship, his authority. And in that, that Paul himself is going to attack one of those who, uh, or attack the character of one of those who's going to be seen as a pillar, seen as someone who's influential. And in so doing, it's going to substantiate the claims he makes to be an apostle. And you see that confrontation in verse 11. But when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, so now they've left Jerusalem and they've made their way to Antioch, he says, I, Paul, opposed him, Peter, to his face because, because he stood condemned. Now let's look at Paul's confrontation. That confrontation begins with confidence in the gospel. How could then Paul oppose him? And the reason Paul can oppose Peter with great confidence in the gospel is because of the gospel itself. As you'll see later on in, in verse, um, what verse is that? In verse 14, he says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And so Paul's confidence that he could be able to challenge others, even challenge the mighty Peter, right? Uh, the one who, the, his declaration of Christ being the Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, the, uh, and that's where the church was going to be built, not upon Peter, but upon Peter's declaration of, of, of Jesus being the Messiah, who's, who's elevated by so many within the church. He says, how could then Paul have such confidence to rebuke and to confront Peter? Or how could you as a church member feel confidence to be able to rebuke someone else who you feel like has such authority and has great stature within the, the Christian community? You know how you could have confidence to do so? Because you have confidence in the gospel. Confidence in the gospel. And Peter, uh, Paul had that. He had confidence in this gospel because why? His conduct, Peter's context, was not, it was in step with or in unison with the truth of the gospel. So Paul's confrontation with Peter was, number one, as a result of confidence in the gospel. But number two, it's for, for clarity of the gospel. For clarity in the gospel. So this whole debate now, as you're going to continue to see, and you've already begun to see it rise up, and you're going to continue to see it get stronger and stronger and stronger, was this debate with the Judaizers, those who were trying to convert all people to Judaism, this legalistic rules to be kept with, which the Bible would say the whole purpose of the law was to show us that we're sinful and that every man's mouth may be stopped and be sinful and be guilty before God. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And so the intent behind that is that for the law was there to show us we needed a Savior. And now the Savior has come in the form of uh, Jesus Christ. He had lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, uh, lived the life that we couldn't live in complete obedience to God, died our, a sacrificial death on our behalf so that the punishment for sin that was due us would be laid on His back. We made that appeasing offering to God, and it showed that it was atoned for because God raised him from the dead, showing that he'd conquered death, hell, and the grave. And then he ascended after his resurrection on high after he'd shown himself to many, many witnesses. And it's in that gospel that we want to show there's clarity to it. And that's the gospel that can save and deliver us from works of the law. That those works of the law were never an attempt for righteousness to earn or merit ourselves, but to show us we needed a Savior that could do those things that we could not do ourselves, and to make payment for the sins that we have committed. And so the Judaizers come in and say, yeah, yeah, we embrace Jesus as, our, as, as, as the Messiah. But really what they were undermining was the sacrificial work of Jesus. You needed Jesus and something else. And this is where Paul was zealous for those things. He'd say, no, that's not true. It's a different gospel. It's not true. And we have to say 
consistent with that. And so I have confidence in this gospel. And as a result of that confidence, as it spoke of in the previous chapter, I mean the previous verses, verse 5, he says, uh, so then we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Verse 5. Paul's attempting to clarify this gospel. And so when Peter's conduct wasn't in step with the gospel, it says in, in verse 1, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now the confidence he can have to oppose somebody to their face, to resist them. Now this opposing there's this confidence you can have is a reaction. That somebody would come against you with some kind of attack. And he says, no, I'm not going to back down. You, you bow up and you look them face to face, eye to eye. It's just kind of the picture where you'd see those who are weighing in for a fight. If it's a, um, a boxing competition there and there. And you'll see and there's always a picture there where they're standing nose to nose. Looking at one another. This is the picture you see that Paul says. This confidence I have in this gospel and the clarity for the gospel. I'm going to oppose him. He's the one who's living out of step with the gospel. But the gospel is important. There's to be clarity there. And so I'm going to oppose him. I'm going to stand to him face to face. Because why? Peter stands condemned. Now what's this condemnation that's taking place there? What, how is Peter condemned? And that's where our second point there. That we see is Paul's confrontation with Peter demonstrates Paul's condemnation of Peter. That Peter stood condemned. Ultimately, that Peter was not walking in light of the gospel. And so, uh, where does this condemnation come from? Whether it was condemnation that Peter himself knew that he wasn't living the way he's supposed to live. Whether or not it was the, the Gentiles that were there were condemning him. Um, whether a, a variety of other things might be happening, where, where this condemnation comes, we, it's not specifically said, but he stood condemned in light of the gospel. And so what's the, why did he stand condemned? Well, first let's look at the expectations of the gospel. There are expectations of the gospel. And you see that in verse, uh, 12, verse 12, and it begins to map out that expectation. And so when Peter had come to Antioch, he was opposed because he stood condemned. And then it begins to unpack how this happened, why he was condemned. For before certain men came from James, so there's some certain people came from James. It's going to tell us who they are in just a moment. He, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when he came, he drew back. Well, when they came, these people that came supposedly from James, when they, he, they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So the condemnation here is hypocrisy of some sense. And a hypocritical attitude that begins to trickle down to influence other people to act the same way. Well, so why the hypocrisy there, Peter? Well, you begin to see there's some people who came from James. Now, once again, you're going to see throughout this whole time, you're beginning to pick up this theme that they want a name drop, right? These Judaizers want a name drop. Well, you're not like the other pillars, those influential people. James, the half-brother Jesus, Cephas or Peter, you're not like him. John, the beloved, you're not like these other apostles, these real pillars. You're just kind of Johnny-come-lately to the scene, and you think you're somebody preaching these things. And so they try to use that argument. And so even here, they're dropping James's name for, for certain men came from James. And once again, the half-brother of Jesus, that's the leader of the Jerusalem church. And they're dropping his name. It's not the first time we've seen this, right? As they write the letter in Acts chapter 15 back to the church of Antioch, they say, hey, we've heard that people have come from Jerusalem in our name, in my name. And let me tell you, they didn't come in my name. Well, these are the same people. And who are these people who come that would make Peter fearful that he would want to withdraw from eating with the Gentiles? 
And it says there in verse 12, it gives us insight into who these were. These evidently were men of the circumcision party because he was, he being Peter, was fearing the circumcision party. Now, what's this issue of eating with Gentiles? What's really taking place there? And, and what's, what's, what's going on? Well, you'll hold your place here just for a moment. I want to show you something in Acts chapter 11 that will help us. And it will help us even, I think, get a little insight into what's taking place in the life of Peter. And why Peter would not stand strong in the midst of difficulty or persecution. Acts chapter 11. I'll give you a little context while you're making way to Acts chapter 11. Uh, and if you can't find it, uh, just by thumbing through, feel free to use the table of contents at the, be- the, beginning, the beginning of your Bible. But as you're making your way, I'm going to give you a little context. So the gospel started there in Acts chapter 2 as far as the gospel being pro- proclaimed, or the church was started in Acts chapter 2 as the gospel was being carried out and carried forth with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so they stayed there until persecution began to happen in Acts 8, 1, where Saul, the very one we're speaking of Harris, who was redeemed in Acts 9, who became a... Um, genuine follower of Jesus and was carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the one actually carrying out much of the opposition that was taking place there. Acts 8, it went from um, um, uh, to Judea and Samaria to the other parts of the world in in a sense. And so it starts in Judea and Samaria. The gospel continues to move out. You see Acts 9, uh, Saul's conversion, which became Paul. And in Acts chapter 10, you see something really interesting where the gospel then goes to the Gentiles. And so as it's going, it began to kind of spread to Judea and then Samaria, and Samaria being an intermingling of Jews and Gentiles. And that's why there was such hatred for the Samaritans, at least from the Jews, as they were considered half-breeds or or not full Jews. And so, but the gospel hadn't gone to the Gentiles. And so then the gospel then is now being preached to um, uh, a family there in Acts chapter 10. And in that that conversation, Peter uh, sees a vision from heaven. And in seeing that vision from heaven, God tells him that he should rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, I've never eaten anything unclean. And he says, what I call clean, you should not call unclean. And so then ultimately some people show up at the same time of the vision. They're from Cornelius' house, and Cornelius has sent them to Peter based on uh, uh, an angel of the Lord had communicated this to them. And so now they're showing up at the same time Peter's having this vision. And then these Gentiles come in, and they stay with um, Peter at this house, the, the, uh, the, t- the Tanner's house there. And so they spend the night with him and they eat with him. And so then he travels to their house and he preaches the gospel to them. And then they, the Holy Spirit's granted them. They're saved. And you see the first Gentiles now receiving the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, then they baptize them. And then the word gets back to Jerusalem. Gentiles have received the gospel. And so now Peter has to answer to the church, the Jerusalem church. And that's where you pick up in Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles, Acts 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, there they are again, criticized him saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now there it is, eating with them. You ate with them. Now what's, what's the big deal? What's, what's going on there? And you've got to begin to know a little bit of Jewish history, and you've got to know a bit about this, the laws uh, from the Old Testament. There were strict dietary laws that would go into uh, being a Jew, a separation. And the intent behind even some of the things is, why would God do all that? What's up with this? And why would God put all these weird kind of regulations on them? Part of the reasons was, in, in, in a simplistic manner, was if you don't, if you don't eat the same things, you're asked to eat different things than the, the world as a whole. It's going to separate you from from them. Many of us have appetites, and man, we have really we're real finicky in what we eat. And so, it's one of the ways, one of the many many ways God chose to separate His people from other people. 
and says, I'm going to give them strict dietary laws so that would aid in the pre- pre- prevention and the prohibition of uh, their intermingling with other races. Protect that. Right? So if you go and you begin to get used to your way of doing things, then you begin to go outside of that, and all of a sudden you go, man, I don't know if I could go on this mission trip. Right? If you've ever done much travel overseas, some really unusual things will be put before you. And because you're not used to those things, you go, I think I brought some Slim Jims with me in the suitcase. I'll be fine. Right? I'll be okay. It's all right. Well, that only lasts a certain length of time. And if you're like me on my very first missionary trip, I, it was to Argentina, which is very European and has great food. If you ever go to Argentina, don't pack anything. Leather capital of the world. And if they're leather capital of the world, that means what's their main product? Steak, right? Beef. Great steaks there. And you get them for hardly anything. Well, I'm North Georgia boy from Habersham County. And so I didn't really think to even research it, find out where I'm going. It's like, I'm going on a plane. Sounds good. Got my ticket. All right, let's check in. Let's go. Let's do this. But in my mind, I'm thinking we might eat some really crazy stuff there. And so I packed two outfits, one shirt or two shirts and two pants. So my, my what, and it became eventually my wife about four days into the trip says, I've seen you wear the same thing two days in a row. So it's the fourth day. I've been rotating outfits, but she can see I've been wearing the same thing. She begins to ask me about that. And I said, well, I packed two outfits and the rest of it's full of like Twinkies and Little Debbies and a variety of other things because I didn't have any idea where we were going to be eating, right? I shared that illustration simply to share this. There was a fear behind what am I, what's going to be put before me and what I'm going to eat. And what if I don't like it? Would I starve to death in the two weeks that I was overseas, right? And it's part of that dietary reasoning and it's just to protect from this intermingling with other cultures. And there's a, a means by which God said this is the way you should be able to do it. Well, as a result of that, it led to piousness. It led to a, a hatred of other uh, nations. And as a result of this, there was this mindset, you will be unclean if you go into an unbelie- or to a pagan's house, to a Gentile's house, and if you eat with them, you will be unclean. And some of that was substantiated by Old Testament laws and teachings, whether or not it was traditions of man that was handed down from that. They even had from the washing of their hands. Ultimately, they would be made clean. You see that in, in um, Jesus' attack uh, uh, or correction of the, gent- of the uh, t- Pharisees when they t- challenged him about his disciples not washing their hands. And that was the traditions of man that was handed down, that they would need to wash their hands. So they would, if they ever came in contact with a Gentile, they would be cleansed from that. You see, I think in Mark chapter 7, where it was the challenge behind uh, what they should eat, and Jesus told his, own, uh, told his own disciples, it's not what you put in your body that defiles the man, but what comes out of the heart that defiles them. So what you put in the body gets processed and gets sent out to the body, but it's what com- comes forth from the heart is what defiles the man. And so you see in Mark chapter 7, and then again in Acts chapter 10 with a vision from Peter, God, Jesus himself is communicating to him, or God's communicating to him, that, listen, it's okay, I'm breaking down these stereotypes from the past because I want the gospel to go to the nations. From that gospel going to the nations, then, then they would be able to eat with these Gentiles. And so this is the challenge that's happening. The, he, they ate with Peter in Peter's house, or the Tanner's house where Peter was staying, and then Peter goes to Cornelius' house and spends some time with him and eats with him there. And so now the circumcision party is holding up all of these laws because they find their righteousness and laws go, you're crazy. What are you doing eating with Gentiles? And Acts chapter 11 is the remainder of the time where Peter shares the testimony of the Spirit of God, the Word of God being shared, the gospel being shared, and the Spirit of God being granted to them. And as a result of that, that's what happens. So then if you fast forward to Acts 15, where then Paul shows up with Barnabas and Titus, and he uses the testimony of Peter to help continue to undermine the same circumcision party that's been dogging the steps of the gospel all along the way. Tracking with me? I know it's a lot of history, but you're with me. If you're with me, nod your head. All right. 
25% of us are with me. That's good. All right. So maybe the rest of you guys can plug in as we go. So what are these expectations of the gospel then? What's all the situation that's taking place with um, Peter eating with these Gentiles? So remember where we're at real quick. We're in Antioch, right? A Gentile church who had received the gospel. So that's where you begin to move to Acts 12 and Acts 13, where the gospel now begins to go with unnamed men taking the gospel to um, uh, to Antioch, and then as a result of the gospel being received by Gentiles, and they send Barnabas up from Jerusalem to go check it out, and then Barnabas gets there and realizes these are legit believers, and then he goes and gets Paul. Paul comes back, and they've been there ever since, preaching and teaching the gospel. And so they see these expectations there for the Gentiles of the gospel. And what do we see? Number one, we see equality. You see equality there with them, that the gospel brings equality, and there's an expectation that we would treat others as equals. And so Paul begins to say that's exactly what Peter is doing as he says, listen, I went there to the, in Acts chapter 11, and I went to Cornelius' house, and I just preached the word, man. I just told him about Jesus, and man, the, God gave him the Spirit. That wasn't nothing I did. God granted them the Spirit, and so I said, what should hinder them from being baptized? Said, let them be, become a part of the church, because why? They're, God's the one who's the one granting salvation, not myself. I just preached the gospel. And so there was equality given them in the gospel, and so we should demonstrate equality. Not only should we demonstrate equality, we should demonstrate unity. As you move... Uh, as you begin to walk through this, he's, the challenge here with the gospel is that we'd have equality and unity in it. And Ephesians chapter 2 uh, is an amazing. I'm going to read this passage because I'm going to allude to it there. But if you can hang a right to Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians 2 is where we're in. If you'll flip a page or two over to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 11, look what Paul is teaching there to the church of Ephesus. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, speaking of Christ, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See this hostility that was taking place between Jews and Gentiles? How did he do that? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Right? We have unity because of peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see this expectation of the gospel, that there would be equality and there would be unity? Why? Because of Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who's brought the gospel to us and is, is empowering this, enabling this gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he communicates to them that we should have unity, should have peace. You see it again in Ephesians 4, verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, 3 says. And so there's unity there. So this expectation of the gospel, expectation of the gospel is equality and unity. And not only that, but harmony, as we talked about uh, uh, as well. And that, that same passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, spoke about this hostility that was there. But then peace came because of the gospel. And so there's an expectation of harmony. Expectation of us being a family. 
That's why we say in the emails that go out and the correspondence to go out and we talk about a faith family. We are a family based on what the scriptures t- teaches us, that it's a family based upon our faith. We're not biologically related as far as closely immediate family in that sense, but we're spiritually related. And so you see it in Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you're called to one hope that belongs to your, to, um, belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So one God, one Father, one Spirit, one body. And so if that wasn't clear enough, verses 18 and 19 for, for, through him, of, of Ephesians 2. For through him we have both have access, access one Spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer stranger and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're of his household. For of his household, guess what? We're a part of his house. We're a part of his family. And so you see expectation of gospel, equality, unity, harmony, family, and then liberty. Liberty. And we can walk in the, the, the law of liberty that the law granted us to show us that we weren't uh, in Christ. Uh, and so as a result of that, we look to Christ. And as a result of us being adopted into his family, us being uh, citizens now of this new kingdom, that we're not strangers, we're now in the commonwealth. As a result of that, the reality for us is that we have liberty in the gospel. And so the expectation was and is that now going back to Galatians chapter 2, that Peter had been enjoying this. Peter, as he came there, was eating with them for, he says, because he, uh, he was eating with the Gentiles. This is something that had been a practice for him for some days. He'd been doing this regularly. And he had been enjoying these expectations of the gospel. And so I don't know what they ate. He might have eaten foods that would not have been kosher. But the reality is the Bible said that was fine to do. Right? And from the own vision that Peter received from himself in Acts chapter 10. From the teaching that Peter had received from Jesus even in Mark chapter 7. And we begin to see that this was the case. And that even that he stood against these same circumcision party in Acts chapter 11. And he was enjoying this freedom. But now all of a sudden... Then you see now from the expectations of the gospel, the separation from the gospel. That's your second point. So why was Peter condemned by Paul? Because the expectations that he had been living now begin to see a separation from that gospel. And that's where you pick up and it begins to see, well, how did he begin to separate, separate from the gospel? Through his, number one, hypocrisy. Through his hypocrisy. It says there um, that when these men came around, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself. That's the separation that begins to take place here so he's separation from the gospel scene and this hypocrisy because he had separated himself he drew back it was a slow moving back right they begin to show up and he just begins to take less and less opportunities to hang out with gentiles less and less opportunities to eat with them and so they show up and he embraces them he may host them or interact with them and goes to eat with them and then all of a sudden he just begins to not eat with them more, uh, he begins to not eat with them more and more and more he eats with them less less and less and he's now spending more and more time with the circumcision party and so you begin to see this hypocrisy. See, when he came back, he withdrew and he separated himself. And he, as you continue on in verse 13, because of fear of the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, and, uh, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy, not only Peter's, but those that Peter led astray. So what, what is this hypocrisy? The word hypocrisy simply is a word that means speaking from behind a mask. Speaking from behind. So it would speak of an actor that was acting or pretending. So thespians or actors, right? They would put on a mask and they would they'd act a certain part on the stage. And we know that's not real life. Or be an actor on television or on a movie. Say, well, I know that's not real life. They're just acting out a part. And so here's what's the reality. That wasn't really Peter's heart. 
Let's remove what Peter believed, but he was acting out from behind a mask. He said, put a mask on that I'm, I'm a really good friend, and I'm, I kind of buy in with some of this, what you guys are, are saying. And so as a result of that, he began to live out, pretend uh, what he really didn't believe, because he's already taken a stance on this subject. Twice. Acts chapter 11, he took a stance on it. Acts chapter 15, he once again took a stance on it. But he began to live it out. Now, once again, this isn't a salvation issue. Peter knows the gospel. But at times, as it says there in verse 14, our conduct may not be in step with the truth of the gospel. So this isn't a salvation issue that Peter's no longer saved or is denying the gospel. It says, but with his life at times, we can deny the gospel. Is this not true of you and I? We can stand in here and go, yes, that's what I believe. Amen. And then somebody asks you, hey, where do you go to church? I go to Cherokee Baptist Church. Hey, are you one of those guys that believe that, you know, the only way to heaven is through Jesus and all of a sudden, they get really loud. Maybe there's other co-workers now, and you're thinking, I really shouldn't be talking about this at work. I might get in trouble. But they put you in a kind of a bind, and they know what they're doing. It's exactly what the certain circumstances party is doing. They're always dogging Paul, the Apostle Paul, always falling behind him. Because they don't want to stand condemned. And so they begin to get real boastful and get real prideful and get real loud. And all of a sudden, you think, well, it's probably a better time for me to talk about this than right now. And so... You just think, well, you know, we, I, and you might say something that's not in step with the gospel. This can happen to any of us. It happens to all of us. But it doesn't make it mean it's right. And we need to hammer it like a nail. And so as a result of this, we begin to speak what we really don't believe. We're going to teach what we really don't believe. And it's, it's hypocrisy. And so it's separation from the gospel through hypocrisy. It's separation from the gospel not only because of hypocrisy, but why the hypocrisy, Peter? It's through and it's a result of popularity. It says there in verse 12, because he was fearing the circumcision party. You know, there's times, I, I, I don't by any means condemn Peter here. You know, there's times where you just get tired of fighting. Here we go again. I'm telling you, man, these, these guys are always dogging me. I, mean, I dealt with them in Acts 11. And then I'm in, I'm in Jerusalem, minding my own business. Here comes Paul. We've got to have this powwow again about the circumcision party. And now I, so they ask me what I think. And now I've got to stand up and say this. And I don't know Peter's his, um, his disposition and kind of what, how he's wired. But he may not be one that likes to continue to fight things all the time. And I'm a, I, you know, other guys are okay with confrontation. It might just wear him out, make him nervous or something. I don't know. But the reality is in this is that. Here Peter is, man, he, here he comes again. And I want at some point he's just like, man, I, I just want to be liked by people. I'm tired of always like in the middle of some kind of controversy. Can I be honest with you? I feel that way sometimes as a pastor, right? I'm not even looking for something. And all of a sudden, man, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of some kind of controversy again. It's like, ah, can I just mind my own business? No, I can't. Why? Because it's about the gospel. My, our aim, as we've already talked about in Galatians chapter 1, is to be pleasing to God. Desire approval of God rather than approval of man. And God has put us up against this world. He's designed it this way. So why? We'd be shining lights in this dark world. We'd be light and salt. And so we can't hide. But fearing the circumcision party, maybe he just got to the point where he's like, man, I'm just tired of fighting. I just want to be peace and harmony. Guess what? There can't be peace and harmony where the gospel isn't displayed. And that's why Paul addresses it. Calls him out on that. Separation from the gospel because of popularity. And then why separation from the gospel? Because of disunity. Disunity. And it says, because of that hypocrisy, then in verse 13, and the rest of the Jews that were there acted hypocritically along with him. 
So he, was an, he influenced others. And so his hypocrisy began to have an influence on others so that, purposeful statement, even Barnabas. Now, who's Barnabas? Remember going all the way back to the, the book of Acts where Barnabas was sent there after Acts chapter 12 and the gospel went to Antioch. They sent Barnabas from Jerusalem to go check this thing out. And so Barnabas goes and immediately becomes one of the five elders that were on, on, on site there and began to teach there. One of the other elders then, he went and got Paul. And Paul was now the two major ones. Those were the two that were in that sent out to other regions. Hence where the church in Galatia was founded as a result of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And so now Barnabas, who had been the pastor there, is the pastor there, begins to be like caught up in this. See the influence of this. And if you want to see this happen, Pastor Tim and I just this week went to Georgia Baptist Convention. Right? We love our convention both our state and our, our national convention. We love being Baptists. But let me tell you, not everything that happened there was good or biblical. And men who seemed influential were preaching things that weren't biblical. And nobody would question it. You know why? Here's pastors who should know better, who are not questioning things because of why. They seemed influential. And we can get carried along just like everyone else can get carried along. And it grieved my spirit. I began to look and say, that's not what the Scripture's teaching. It's not even what the text is about. But, you know, we can begin to learn the language and we can begin to learn the lingo. And we want to fit in. And we want to be like everybody else. And we want to feel like what we're doing matters. It's being blessed by God. And all of a sudden we begin to allow the world system to infiltrate what we're doing rather than staying firm on the Word of God and believe in the sovereignty of God and the Word of God. That the Spirit will take the Word and it will redeem souls. And we don't believe that. And so we think, well, maybe we've got to start doing it the way everybody else is doing because evidently God's blessing that way. Who says... God's the one who adds, adds daily the number of those who are being saved. So what's my responsibility? What's your responsibility? The Word of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is about. The Word of God. Both in your words and in your works. I'm going to challenge it. And so you begin to look at the book of Acts. What does it say? King Agrippa begins to stand up and testify that he's a God, right? And they begin to chant, he's a God, he's a God, he's a God. And so King Agrippa stands up there and he's like, I like this. If I'm a God, then they're going to do what I, they tell me or what I tell them to do. You know what God did to King Agrippa? Somebody talk to me. May know their Bible. Ate him up with what? Worms. I wouldn't have wanted to see that, right? I don't know what that looks like, but I wouldn't have wanted to see that. God ate him up with worms. You know what the next verse says? And the word of God increased and multiplied. That's what we're about. All you guys do is teach over there at Cherokee. Teach, 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 teach. You know, you can do other things but teach, right? Yes. But you can do other things but teach too. And what needs to increase around here? I believe the word needs to increase. And when the word increases, then our actions should fall in line with the word. You have Peter who knows the word, whose actions don't line up with the word. And so we put all of our time in our actions, we become legalists. Now, same time, you can become a legalist while you're keeping truth only. That's why you got to have word and truth, right? Word and deed. It's got to have both. And so we want to do both, but we got to know what you're being taught and aid us in that teaching as well. And so as a result of that, then others began to separate from the, the Gentiles as well. Now imagine this. A church of Gentiles who Jews showed up, was hanging out, was eating when everything seemed to be going good. Circumcision party shows up and all of a sudden you've got factions and divisions. Oh, we don't eat with them anymore. They begin to withdraw back real subtly. Now think about how this could play out. They're going to have their own love, the love feast. They're going to have their own uh, Lord's Supper. We're going to have our own Lord's Supper. 
But we're unified. There's equality here. There's unity. There's harmony. We're a family. We're all about liberty. We're just not going to eat with you. See how that's not in step with the gospel? And Peter is opposed now to the gospel because of his conduct. And Paul uses this as an opportunity to correct Peter. That's our third point. Paul's correction of Peter. You see Paul's confrontation of Peter, Paul's condemnation of Peter, and now Paul's correction of Peter. Well, is Peter, Paul doing this just to make a name for himself? I don't think so. I think Paul realized how big a situation this was. Remember, they just came from a debate where he went down and asked, Can y'all, will y'all support me? Will y'all support Barnabas and I when we go teach this? So this is fresh on his mind. He knew what was at stake. We can't compromise in this way. We can't compromise in this way. And he heads back to Antioch. Peter heads up and everything's going great. And the circumcision party shows him. He goes, oh, here we go again. And then he sees Peter's actions. He says, no, no, we got to squelch this. Remember, I want you to go back to chapter 2, verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. What's Paul's mindset then, pastor? His mindset is, I want to preserve the gospel. At all costs, I want to preserve the gospel. And I see you're not in step with the gospel, I'm going to rebuke it. And that's exactly what he does. See Paul's correction to Peter and his accountability. Chapter 2, verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct, not only Peter's, but the others that were with him, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas. And then he's going to communicate some things to him. Accountability. Go to him. Tell him what he's doing wrong. Confront him. Luke chapter 17, Matthew chapter 18. You see a brother who's in sin, you go confront them in their sin. Is that a loving thing to do? Yes, if you love the gospel. No, if you don't love the gospel and you don't love them, let them do what they want to do. But if you love the gospel and you love them, you have to confront them. We don't have an option. We have to confront them. Have to confront them. They're living in sin. We have to confront them. And so there's accountability. Number two, that accountability wasn't just privately. That accountability was publicly. He says, I said to Cephas before them all. Before them all. Who's them all? Church. Why, why, why would that need to be said before everyone? Because there had been an impact. And it had been impacting everyone. These Jews were no longer eating with Gentiles. You had the popular table and the unpopular table. If you remember back from the days where you were in public school and you kind of set a table and you knew where you're supposed to sit and where you weren't supposed to sit, right? If you had to ride the bus, some of you guys may not have to ride the bus. You had to ride the bus and you had places where you could sit and you weren't supposed to sit, right? Some, even in our older generation, even knew more so than that. They would segregation. You couldn't either get on the bus, you got on the bus, you had to sit in a certain section, right? That's why Rosa Parks was a big deal. You remember that? Some history, right? If you don't know that, you need to study some more in your history. It's pretty important. But it's reality for us, right? Top of separation, second-class citizens within the kingdom. And Paul's challenging this. And so it made an impact here in this entire church. And he wanted to call it out publicly. It's accountability publicly. It was clarity. Why clarity? We already addressed this in point number one of the confrontation with Peter. Was it was clarity that this conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And Paul wanted to clarify that. This isn't gospel-centered living. And I want to correct that. And it's for integrity. And this is, we see in the latter part of verse 14, here's what he says to Cephas before them all. If you, Peter, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You think, what does that mean? Here's what he's saying. I've been observing since you've been here in Antioch that you've been eating with Gentiles. You've been living like a Gentile. 
been in Gentile homes, potentially eating Gentile food, may not have been kosher. And how you, a Jew, you live like a Gentile these past few days. And then some Jews show up, and, you be, and, you know, and you're trying to tell these Gentiles who aren't Jews that they should live like Jews when you're living like a Gentile. You want to walk me through that? How does that work for you in your mind? Tell me about that hypocrisy that I'm seeing right there. You see it? And can I tell you, there's times guilty, guilty as charged. How you being a Christian live like an unbeliever and then try to tell unbelievers they should live like a believer? How does that happen? And I say, just as hopefully Peter said to Paul, I repent of that. That's not right. I shouldn't do that. So what's Paul's outcome? What's he desire from that? That's our last point. Accountability was brought publicly for clarity so that Peter's lack of integrity could be called into question so that a greater integrity could be had so that the church could experience unity once again. The church could experience unity once again. There needed to be unity. Church began to hang out and fellowship and minister to one another. And that's exactly what Paul was seeing wasn't happening. Now, this is really good. Paul uses it in his argument here to show, look, I'm an apostle too. I'm an apostle too because I can correct another apostle. And he stood condemned. And so he's using that as his argument. That's why you can listen to me. But then for a church-wide as well, let me also communicate. That stuff can happen here, can it not? We start living in step with the world and we start wanting the world's systems and the world's desires. And all of a sudden we begin to then challenge the establishment. Of, why don't we do this? And why don't we have this? And why don't we do this? And, and the variety is that the key is there's not so we can't do some of those things, but we got to make sure it provides unity and it's in, it's in step with the gospel. It's clarity to that. We're living out this gospel. And so two challenges from us. Number one, what's to be some takeaways? One would be, Challenge the establishment. Do you understand that's why we d- develop and design the things that we do? Now, it could be looked at the way you can look at the Apostle Paul here. Paul's talking about himself all the time, bragging about who he is and so follow me, follow me. If you really read it, though, Paul's not doing that. He would say, you're challenging my authority. I'm just trying to communicate what my authority is. My authority, I'm gonna, when I communicate, it's all about God. I'm an apostle because God told me to be an apostle. He's the one who sent me. I got my, my, my commands from God. Let me tell you about my story. My commendation from men came because I wanted to go where you guys say people are and know the gospel. So I want to go be commended by those guys to make sure my gospel is accurate. Not because I needed it, because you needed to hear that. We want to co- confront others because of the gospel. But all along, you see, his desire is that this is what God's doing. God's the one who made me an apostle. God's the one who called me into the ministry. God's the one who's giving me this ministry. God's the one who was glorified because of me. But that's not because of me. It's because of God's work in me. And you continue to see Paul uh, navigating and teaching through that. And so the same way, sometimes people can say, well, man, it's all about you guys as preachers. And you've even organized how we do everything because of that. You preach a long message and then you give us, we have to then turn around the next week and talk about what you told us. But let me just give you the, this, our side where we sit and just tell you why we do that. You know why we do that? It's so that this type of stuff won't happen. You can, you can critique what's being said. You can study it on your own. So that's why the bulletin information is designed where it is. You can begin to study and ask questions of the text. We're trying to help you to make sure you're Bereans and you study to see what thus says the Lord. Because if not, the sermons that we sat in, if we just got caught up in the emotionalism, 
Even of the, our, our GBC, which we love, we just get caught up sometimes in emotionalism. We'll forget that what they're teaching isn't the Bible. That some of the things that are being said aren't accurate, aren't biblical. And that we need to stand against that. We stand for what the Bible teaches, not what man teaches. And so we encourage you. And so if you're not you're using a reading plan, use it in some form or way. Not because we're wasting paper, killing trees, simply because of the fact that I want to make sure that you're being doers of the word and not forgetful hearers. So it's a protection for you, but also be a protection for me. If I'm out of, out of, my conduct's out of step with the gospel, I would encourage you to confront me, to correct me, to correct Pastor Tim, correct anyone who stands behind the sacred desk. Correct us. So one would be, and be engaged in what we're doing. We're doing it intentionally, purposefully, because why? We love the gospel and we love you. And it's through us growing that then the word of God, as it increases in us, will increase in others. And then men and women will be born, born again as a result of gospel proclamation going out from this place. Number two, are we living like hypocrites? And that's, I'm not condemning, I'm asking. Are we living like hypocrites? Are we wearing masks to the vast majority of our week, keeping and remaining quiet when we shouldn't? And though we being... I'm going to use it in a little bit different vernacular here. Being believers, live like unbelievers. How are we going to then ask unbelievers to live like believers? I think the world would call that hypocrisy. I think the Bible would call that hypocrisy. And so the question for us is, are we being hypocritical and leading others to do the same? If so, I, this time of invitation is to implore us to, to repent of that. And so, number one, are we studying to show ourselves workmen approved in the gospel? And, you know, just like good, good illustration before out of this text. You know, Pastor Tim and I can make mistakes just like Peter did. So don't just follow us blindly. We can make mistakes. And that's why even through the whole process of the Constitution of Bibles, we tried to bring you back to the text, bring you back to the text, bring you back to the text, bring you back to the text. But why are we spending 16 weeks to study this again? Haven't we studied this before? Because we want you to be brought back to the text. This is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that's eternal besides our own souls. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word of God will pass away. We need to know it. And it is so easy to fall off a cliff. Easy. That I could begin to teach other things and you might not even catch it at first. I might not even catch it at first. So our goal is to make sure that we're studying show ourselves approved. And second, are we living hypocritically? Because I don't want there to be disunity and disharmony. And we're not living as a family here. And the only thing that will keep this many people a family is we all know the, know the book, the one that the book's about, the Savior. We know the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. For-